a speeding bullet. More powerful than a locomotive. Able to leap tall buildings at a single bound. It's a bird! It's a plane! It's Superman! It's Superman! Man of the Superman! Superman rocketed to Earth as an infant when the distant planet Krypton exploded. And who, disguised as Clark Kent, mild-mannered reporter for the Daily Planet, fights a never-ending battle for truth, justice, and freedom with superpowers far beyond those of ordinary mortals. It's Superman! 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 Hey everybody, welcome to episode 73 of the Man of Screen podcast. I am your host, Mike Zumo, and this episode we're going to look at the next two half hours of the Filmation cartoon, The New Adventures of Superman, covering Superman segments number 9 through 12 of season 1, and the 5th and 6th episode segments of uh, Superboy. That would be the Robot of Riga, the Deep Sea Dragon Superboy segment, and the Invisible Raiders Superman segment. And then in our second segment, I will cover the Superman story Neolithic Nightmare, the Superboy story The Super Clown of Smallville, and the Superman story The Return of Brainiac. But before I get to all that, I have some feedback that I'm trying to get through here. My my first one is from the usual suspect, Dave McElvenny. Dave is writing in on Man of Screen episode number 68, in which I talked about like the last two episodes of the Adventures of Superman TV series, The Perils of Superman, and all that glitters. So Dave writes, Well, I'm sad that you've reached the end of the Adventures of Superman TV series, but I must say you've done a wonderful job covering it, and it's clear that you have tremendous affection for the show and the actors involved, even if not every individual episode is a brilliant gem. Well, thank you, Dave. Thank you for the fun, and I'm looking forward to your continued discussions of Superman in his other on-screen incarnations. The Perils of Superman was a fun romp in the best style of those old movie serials, or even some of the best cartoons, and it's obvious that both you and Bob Fisher enjoyed watching it, even as you noted some of the problems with it. The pacing and the perils facing Superman's friends really do carry the viewer along on an exciting adventure. I agree with both of you that this might have been a better episode to do at the end of the season, and this series, although they probably didn't know that at the time, but I'm... Don't think most TV series back in the 50s followed that sort of thinking. Most didn't really have a lot of callbacks to previous episodes or setups for future episodes in those days, and a lot of shows could have been watched in almost any order. I did especially like your connecting the ending of this episode with the ending for the Superman animated series episode, The Late Mr. Kent. Excellent call. All That Glitters is, as you and Bob both said, a typical Professor Pepperwinkle episode, and it's always fun to see Phil Teed portray this character. Best of all, for me, both as a kid and as a grown-up, sort of. It is a wish-fulfillment aspect of Jimmy and Lois getting superpowers. For that alone, I will always love this one, no matter whether it's a great episode or just an average one. Golly, Mr. Kent, you'll never know how wonderful it is to be like Superman. No, Jimmy, I guess I never will. It's bittersweet, with our knowledge of what would come not too long after the episode first aired, to hear that, but I try to dwell more on the sweet than the bitter. I'm eager to hear your next episode wrapping up and, I suppose, giving an overview of the series. I know that by the time you get this email, you'll have already recorded that one, but I wonder if we will get a definitive listing of Bob's top 10 black and white episodes and top 10 color. I don't think I've ever made a definitive top 10 list for myself, so maybe I'll see if I can come up with one. Live long and prosper. Dave McElvenny. Well, thank you, Dave, as always, for your feedback, and uh, it's always appreciated. The uh, first thing I want to address is that uh, is what you ended your letter with, Bob Fisher's top 10 black and white or top 10 color episodes. Well, I cannot and will not speak for Bob, but 
and I would never ask him to reveal his top tens on my show. That's something that should and I hope would be done on Superman Forever Radio. But if you don't mind, Dave, and indulging me, uh, I scribbled together my own top ten list. I'm not sure that uh, this list is in any way definitive, as I basically kind of just wrote down the first ten black and white and uh, color episodes I thought of. If uh, I figured that if I thought of these episodes, they're in my top ten. So here we go. And this, I did rank these, and the ranking is based on my feelings when I rank them. You know, some of these episodes could move up or down depending on my mood that day, but here's my top ten. Number ten, Superman in Exile. Number nine, The Human Bomb. No comment until the time limit is up. Number eight, Case of the Talkative Dummy. Number seven, Night of Terror. Number six, Crime Wave. Number five, The Defeat of Superman. Number four, Semi-Private Eye. Number three, The Evil Three. Number two, The Stolen Costume. And number one, Panic in the Sky. And uh, as for my top ten color, I have number ten, The Mysterious Cube. Number nine, The Big Forget. Number eight, The Big Freeze. Number seven, The Town That Wasn't. Number six, Flight to the North. Number five, Money to Burn. Number four, Divide and Conquer. Number three, Jimmy the Kid. Number two, Great Caesar's Ghost. Number one, The Perils of Superman. And uh, maybe I will, uh, when this episode drops, I will drop uh, this list onto uh, the Facebook group and uh, see what kind of discussion it generates. So there's my list, and... uh, I encourage you to make your own and uh, and send it to me. It could be an interesting uh, conversation. And uh, and I'd like to thank you, Dave, for the kind words you gave at the beginning of the letter. You know, it is uh, you know it was bittersweet reaching the adventures of Superman. The ending. Uh, I don't know if I mentioned this uh, on the show, but maybe I did, maybe I didn't. It's been so long ago now. I don't remember. But when I was creating the show when i was kind of deciding what the show would be about it was originally going to be an adventures of superman podcast just george reeves from mole men to the end and so really finishing this seems like an ending and a milestone for me at least it did at the time but you know the show really grew when i saw how much other superman i had on my shelf and just figured no one's covering this stuff let's do it especially the older stuff tons of people have covered uh the animated series and whatnot but i'm gonna get to that when i get to that and uh to the best of my knowledge, right now, nobody else is or has covered uh, the filmations uh, in depth. As far as your comments on the Peril of Superman, I'm really not sure I have anything to add to your, uh, to what you added to our conversation. And uh, yeah, I hold all that glitters in, uh, in high esteem as well. It was one of the first episodes that I saw, and, you know, as usual, whenever the episodes I watched as a kid growing up are the ones that stick out. Not so much some of the others that uh, I came to know later. And came to know even better through this podcast. All right, so thank you, Dave, for that. And uh, next I have an iTunes review from Gene Hendricks. Gene is the writer of the uh, Hammer Strikes blog. He's also one of the hosts of Anime Freaks, the Quantum Cast, and the Hammer Podcast, also on the uh, Two True Freaks Network. He also manages the Two True Freaks Twitter. You can find him at on Twitter at Podcasting Machine, I believe. So Gene writes in his five-star review. is titled... Super Show. Talking about every Superman appearance on the big and small screen is a huge undertaking, but if anyone can do it, then it's Mike Zumo. Mike takes his knowledge as a Superman fan and as a newspaper reporter slash editor to give you a unique view of these cartoon, TV shows, and movies. Everyone has seen Superman outside of the comics, and therefore everyone needs to listen to this show. Well, thank you, Gene, and uh, yes, it is a uh, huge undertaking and uh, kind of an overwhelming one at times when I uh, sit and actually look at the episode list and see uh, how far I have to go and uh, how long it's going to take, but, you know. I'm in for the duration, or as long as I can keep this going. So, I'd like to thank Gene for his review. Uh, you can also send 
leave an iTunes review. That helps other people find the show. And you can send an email to manofscreen at gmail.com. I'm going to take a quick break, play a promo, and then I'm going to come back with the uh, next three segments. Hang around, folks. everybody, Magnus here. You know, a lot of people make fun of 1990s comics. The way they tell it, you'd almost think they weren't avidly collecting those same comics themselves. But me? I've got a real soft spot for 90s comics. And so, starting in December of 2017, I'm launching a six-part mega-series called Cover Date. January 1991. The idea is to talk about, well, comics with a January 1991 cover date. Anyway, yeah, that's right. Trennis Magnus Punches Reality is going back to January 1991 for a look back at what comics were really like. Is it really as bad as people say? Well, there's only one way to find out. I want you to test drive some 1990s comics along with me. Who knows? You just might find something to fall in love with all over again. So, come back to January 1991 with Trennis Magnus for a fond, festive, frolicking trip down memory lane. The fun starts in December 2017 only at Trennis Magnus Punches Reality. You can find Trennis Magnus Punches Reality at TwoTrueFreaks.com or by searching in iTunes. Or, I guess you could search on Google if you're feeling really lazy. Cover date. January 1991 because 1990s comics are awesome. Welcome back, folks. Uh, before I get into these uh, segments, uh, I did mention the previous air dates on the episodes I covered in the last uh, two episodes. The episodes covered in episode 71 were September 10th and September 17th of 1966. And the segments that I covered last episode were aired on September 24th and October 1st. So with that out of the way, I'm going to head into uh, the first half of uh, this week's episode, uh, the original broadcast date of these next three segments was October 8th, 1966. The first is Robot of Raiga by Oscar Bensal. And now all of our synopses are brought to you by supermanhomepage.com, your number one source for Superman information on the web. Lois and Jimmy investigate reports of a strange UFO. Jimmy uses his Superman signal watch when they realize they're lost. However, before Superman can respond, the two reporters are abducted by a UFO and have flown into outer space. Hot on their trail, Superman arrives on the planet Riga in time to save Lois and Jimmy from a huge fire-breathing robot and fly them back to Earth. The uh, synopsis kind of gets you through the episode there. There's uh, not much to this story, like there's not much to most of these stories. So we open up with uh, Lois and Jimmy exploring the marshes and looking for a UFO. 
I'm not exactly sure how far you have to go outside of Metropolis to find marshes, but they have. You know, I guess if you can find uh, Swampland, about 10 or so miles from New York City, you can find marshes right outside of Metropolis. So, for some inexplicable reason, Jimmy uses his signal watch before seeing the UFO. And in a flash of green light, Lois and Jimmy are abducted by aliens. I guess that is a uh, little bit of foreshadowing on the part of the writers. They wanted to uh, have Jimmy signal for Superman before he's actually in trouble because apparently uh, he's not going to get a chance later. So Clark changes Superman and is off screen before he finishes saying up, up, and away. Maybe they need to time that a little bit better next time. And Superman is giving chase to the uh, spaceship here and uh, he's surprised that it's traveling faster than he is. But it is. And the Regans are green aliens with pointed ears because, you know, all aliens are green with pointed ears and they look something that like something you would see in a Legion of Superheroes comic book. So now Lois and Jimmy are being threatened by an eye on a screen, and uh, Jimmy tries to swing a chair at it, but the eye just vaporizes it. And uh, now Superman is flying through space and monologuing. You would think the absence of any kind of air in the vacuum would be an impediment to such things, but it's not. And uh, someone should remind Mr. Benstall here that sound does not travel through the vacuum of space. Therefore, Superman cannot continue to hear Jimmy's signal watch as the Regan spaceship travels. And I would assume that with nothing to block his view, Superman can see the spaceship as he flies. The alien ship, meanwhile, is described as a flying saucer at one point, and it doesn't look much like a saucer to me, more like a dish with a radio tower on top. So, here's the planet Riga. It's got a green sky and some futuristic-looking buildings, at least by 1960s standards. I believe around the same time uh, Filmation was doing the Star Trek animated series, I wonder if there was uh, any overlap on some of these alien worlds. But Lois and Jimmy are now on another planet, and they're awfully calm about it. I might be a little nervous if I were in that situation, but, you know, they're not. They're, uh, they're fine. So the, uh, the Regans are using their little, uh, zapper thing, and, uh, they put Lois and Jimmy in a cage. And it's awfully nice of Lois to tell us after we see it happen, you know. I never would have realized they were in a cage just from seeing it with my own eyes. I clearly needed Lois to tell me that they were in a cage. Of course, they're depending on Superman, who is still following the signal through space. Apparently, Superman knows of the planet Riga as he identifies it. So, uh, when it's time for the aliens to feed them, Lois and Jimmy run away, only to end up in the presence of a fire-breathing robot. That's why I generally don't run away from aliens that are trying to hold me prisoner, because I never know when I'm going to run into a a fire-breathing robot. I really don't want to run into such things. And of course, the robot, the first thing it does is grab Lois and Jimmy, and Superman has shown up at this point. He hits the robot, and it drops Lois and Jimmy, who, thankfully, Superman catches. And, you know, now we see Superman fighting a robot. You can never go wrong with Superman fighting a robot. This segment has a little bit of a milestone, as I do believe that we just got the uh, first utterance of heat vision on the screen. As Superman called it, his super heat vision. In previous incarnations of Superman on the screen, it's only been identified as X-ray vision. And the comics of the the correspond those times were calling his heat vision the heat of his X-ray vision. So, at some point... I'm not sure what the first utterance of heat vision was in the comics, but this is the first on-screen mention of heat vision. So, Superman, unable to fight it on the outside, he goes into the into the giant robot because apparently the eyes were big enough for him to fly through or, or however he got in there. And he just kind of pulls its wires apart from the inside and shorts it out. Jimmy points out the fireworks coming out of the robot's mouth as Superman does his work, and Lois compares it to Independence Day. I think instead of admiring the sparks coming out of his giant robot, they'd be better served to get out of the way, don't you? Because, naturally, when the robot falls, it's going to fall right on them. But, thankfully, Superman is there, and he catches the robot and drops it in the lake. So now, Superman is going to take Lois and Jimmy back to Earth, and he's going to do it without the aid of a spaceship, and without the aid of any kind of spacesuit, either. Uh, 
Apparently, they don't need these things, and uh, they can just go into space as is. Apparently, Lois and Jimmy will suffer no risk of suffocation, or their eyes freezing over, or their hearts exploding, or any other uh, horrible thing that can happen to you when you're exposed to the vacuum of space. But I guess if uh, Superman can monologue and hear sounds in space, then Lois and Jimmy can also suck vacuum and live. And there's a very uh, weird ending to this, with Lois uh, excited about her story and Clark offering to take her to the zoo. Oh boy, what a story! And what a beautiful day. Look, Lois, let's take the afternoon off. We'll get some fresh air. Why, Clark, are you inviting me for a ride out in the country? No, I, uh, uh... I thought you might enjoy a visit to the zoo. The zoo? I'm not sure why she isn't so upset with this, but she is as the story ends. Maybe because she was caged up and she felt as though she was in a zoo when on the alien world. I don't know. You know, it's an okay segment. Like I mentioned before, the performances of all the voice actors are good. The animation is static and stiff, but there's not much to say about these segments because, you know, it's very basic. Lois and Jimmy get into trouble. Superman fights something. Episode ends. Really, all you can f- all you can fit in in eight minutes. So we're gonna move right on from that and into the Superboy episode, "The Deep Sea Dragon" by Oscar Bensal. A deep sea expedition comes across a treasure chest at the bottom of the ocean, which contains what they think is a huge pearl. Soon after, they are attacked by a strange sea monster and put out an SOS call. Hearing the distress signal, Superboy heads out to sea with Crypto, and is soon discovered that the Sea Dragon, a genetically engineered creature of a famous scientist, was just trying to keep its egg safe. But pirates have their eyes on the egg, and soon after stealing it from the sleeping dragon, wakes up and goes on a rampage. Superboy and Crypto capture the pirates and return the egg to its mother. <sighs> okay. Even less to this one than the previous segment. So, we start off with a deep-sea diver going under the water for looking for some buried treasure. He finds what appears to be a giant pearl. At first I thought it was a crystal ball, but it looks more like a pearl when uh, it's brought up to the boat. Imagine if Joe Chill tried to grab something this size off of uh, Martha Wayne's neck. So, here comes the dragon. Because when you have an episode called The Deep Sea Dragon, you best have a dragon in it. So, Clark is uh, listening to the radio when he hears a report about a dragon attacking the boat. Because... Why not? So, Pa can't send Superboy out to go check it out, and very quickly, Crypto is at his side. Superboy reaches the ocean, and the dragon is playing with the boat like it's a chew toy, which is kind of funny. And then Superboy dra- has the dragon by the neck and Crypto by its tail, and they're trying to do what they can to move this giant thing. You know, it's a nice-looking dragon. It's, uh, you know, kind of a pale reddish. Its body parts don't move a whole lot, but it moves its neck and its head, and, you know, I guess it's threatening. So, Crypto uh, rescues the sailors. And apparently, uh, the dragon just, like the synopsis says, just wanted the pearl. And here comes a famous marine biologist who apparently uh, created the sea dragon by crossbreeding and genetic engineering. Perhaps I can explain. I'm Professor Anstice Johns. The famous marine biologist? Yes, Superboy. That creature is a mutation created by me. After years of experimenting and crossbreeding. But, sir, why would you release such a menace? She's not a menace. She's playful, gentle. She only became enraged when that diver stole her egg. Her egg? That pearl is an egg? Precisely. She must have placed it in the sunken wreck for safekeeping. In the interest of science, Superboy, no harm must come to her. Your word's good enough for me, sir. I'll make sure this never happens again. Come on, Crypto. Why is it that famous uh, marine biologists uh, only seem to uh, create dangerous creatures? Apparently the uh, dragon laid an egg. 
I wasn't 100% sure the dragons laid eggs, but I guess they do. This is where the kids learn an important lesson about how not to mess with the eggs of another creature. But seriously, how would they know this pearl was the egg of a giant sea dragon? Nobody even knows the sea dragons exist. <sighs> but I do like how the characters are understanding their way through this after the initial threat against the sailors is resolved. I have a feeling if this were a Superman story, the writers would just have had him punch his way through this. And then, uh, after that's resolved, they give the, uh... The pearl back to the dragon, Superboy builds a little enclosure for her to hang out and uh, care for her eggs. And here's a swimmer from a submarine. Uh, it's a pirate submarine, and so they clearly didn't uh, learn the lesson that was just taught to them. And he take, this one takes the pearl, and all of a sudden the, uh, the dragon's pissed again, and she wrecks her nest, and Superboy and Crypto are on the case again. Superboy takes the boat, and Crypto barks at the dragon. These pirates seem to have bad aim, as these torpedoes keep flying right over Superboy. I guess the more dynamic shot of the... Uh, Torpedoes bouncing off of Superboy wasn't available for this sequence. So Superboy rescues the egg and uh, the dragon uh, licks both Crypto and Superboy and the pirates are arrested and we're all going to have a happy ending. Looks like everyone's happy now, Professor. You, the creature, and her baby from the hatch stake. Yes, thanks to you, Superboy. <laughs> oh, uh, and to you too, Crypto. <laughs> Apparently, Superboy had built an aquarium near Smallville for the dragon. Um, it doesn't seem to me like the outskirts of Smallville is the safest place to host a aquarium with a giant dragon in it. But, you know, sure, let's go with it. And the uh, professor is going to thank all involved, and the episode kind of ends there. Like I mentioned before, uh, you know, I guess it's a nice lesson for the kids on how they shouldn't mess with the eggs uh, that a bird or something has laid while still delivering the actions that kids will expect from these cartoons. So... Let's move on to The Invisible Raiders by George Cashton. The sorcerer and his two hooded henchmen rob a museum and escape Superman while kidnapping Jimmy when they turn invisible. In their cave hideout, Jimmy uses his signal watch to alert Superman, who comes and uh, cleans up the mess. So this segment starts with a bunch of folks at the museum and Clark and Jimmy are covering the opening of the latest exhibit. Jimmy muses that Superman is going to keep an eye on the collection, and, you know, just as Clark says Superman is going to keep an eye on things, a disembodied head shows up and starts threatening people, because that's what uh, a disembodied head will do. Stay where you are, everyone. Don't move and no harm will come to you. My hooded hirelings wish only to relieve this trove of its treasure. Stop, you guys! And you too, mister, whoever you are, surrender or we start shooting. He melts a gun with his uh, lightning from his hands, and uh, Clark, meanwhile, has an opportunity to change Superman, and he gets right to business. And now, I really like this sequence that came up with uh, with Superman and the Sorcerer, and I much prefer when Bud Collier is uh, bantering with the bad guys than when he is simply narrating his actions. The party's over, Sorcerer. Tell your men to surrender. <laughs> really, Superman? Such heroics are futile. Believe me. We'll see about that. You know, here he's threatening the sorcerer. You know, he's talking tough. And that's much better than saying, Great Krypton, now I have to lift this big rock or something or other. I'd much rather see Superman interact with the other characters than interact with himself and function as a narrator of things we can already see. So now we've got Superman trying to grab the crooks, but they turn invisible and take the rest of the exhibit. Kind of, It's kind of amusing watching Superman kind of get flustered by this. Jimmy also floats away as the sorcerer threatens him, and so Superman can really only stand there confused. So, next we find out that our hooded henchmen and our sorcerer are hiding in a cave, and uh, Jimmy is showing his confidence in Superman. 
You may be a smart cookie, Mr. Sorcerer, but how long do you think you can stymie Superman? Just as long as you remain my prisoner, my lad. Oh, yeah? Well, that won't be for very long. Lock him away. In a good, safe place. Then we get a shot of Jimmy, who is tied up, and he gets free enough to activate his signal watch. There is a visual element to Jimmy's signal watch. It's animated as, a, as yellow electricity. And what's weird is that Superman has his hand up, almost as if he is feeling the signal instead of hearing it. It's just a strange bit of animation there. So Superman shows up at the cave and everyone turns invisible, but the crooks use visible guns. But fortunately, this sorcerer is smart enough to tell his henchmen that they are giving up their position. So he's smarter than the sorcerer that we met during last week's episode, who, uh... Turned himself invisible, then tried to escape on a visible motorcycle. So Superman goes around punching the air for a minute, and eventually knocks everyone out, including the sorcerer. Superman demands to know where Jimmy is, and at this point I'm wondering if the watch is still going, or did Jimmy shut it? Because if Jimmy left the watch on, Superman could have just followed the signal right to Jimmy. So uh, Superman frees Jimmy, and the sorcerer escapes, but not before he can summon an earthquake. Now hear this, Superman. You have outsmarted me, defeated me, but you shall not take the sorcerer alive. For now I die, and all perish with me. I command the earth to break open and swallow every living being. Do you think even you can stop an earthquake, Superman? <laughs> I sure can try. I think that's going a little far here. But, you know, this sorcerer is uh, committed to what he uh, what he's doing. And I was almost surprised to see, to hear the sorcerer use, actually use the word die. For I just remember from being a kid in the 80s, so maybe this is something that started later, is that... The bad guys really were never able to say they were going to kill somebody or that somebody died or something. They were always going to destroy them. And, you know, it just dawns on me from watching some other cartoons like uh, He-Man and Thundercats that the bad guys were mostly incompetent. They would have defeated themselves if uh, if they really needed to. But I'm getting the sense that in these cartoons that the villains are a little more villainous and a little more competent than what we're going to see in later on cartoons. I could be wrong, though, but... But anyway, like I said, this sorcerer, he's, he thinks he's gonna die, and he's taking the world with him. So Superman goes under the underground kind of animation here, shows Superman grabbing, basically grabbing the fault and sealing it. Just bringing the rock together with his hand and stopping the earthquake. He re-emerges to take the wizard to jail, so apparently the wizard will be taken alive. And this has a kind of a Fleischer-esque ending with Clark making a crack, which reminds us of what happened in the episode. And Boy, what an adventure that was! Yes, and what a story you got. Yeah, thanks to Superman. Say, Mr. Kent, you want to see a magic trick? No thanks, Jimmy. That magic stuff baffles me. I thought his comment about was pretty on point. So that was a pretty good uh, segment. I enjoyed that one. You know, Superman was challenged by the criminal, and I always love seeing Superman challenged. We went through a hundred and some odd episodes of The Adventures of Superman where it was almost unfair to the bad guys. So it's nice to see that Superman is challenged before he can uh, stop the crooks. So I'm going to take a quick break, play a podcast promo, and then I'm going to come back with the uh, the next uh, half hour of The New Adventures of Superman. Neolithic Nightmare, The Super Clown of Smallville, and The Return of Brainiac. Hang around, folks. Coming soon, 
to the Fire and Water Podcast Network. It's Superman, Superman Movie, Movie Minute. Minute. Chris Franklin and Rob Kelly take you on a journey through time and space, examining five minutes at a time, the greatest superhero movie of all time, 1978's Superman. Coming soon to a podcast network near you. You'll believe five minutes can fly. All right, welcome back, folks. First and foremost, these next three segments were have an original broadcast date of October 15th, 1966, and we're going to head into Neolithic Nightmare by Oscar Bensall. And now for our synopsis, brought to you by SupermanHomePage.com, your number one source for Superman information on the web. Bob Clark? Beanie and Jimmy are on an expedition inside a series of caverns known as the Breathing Caves. Jimmy is sucked down a long wind tunnel to an underground world. Menaced by a giant creature such as a frog, dragon, eagle, and spider, Jimmy is finally saved by Superman. Alright, so we got an underground world, and we got Superman fighting off some weird creatures, and we got some education. Not a bad segment, but, you know, not a great one either. You know, like I said, all these are all very basic you know, basic kitty fair. We start off with Clark and Beanie the copy boy and Jimmy in what appears to be an ice cave, apparently on their day off, so they're going to be cave divers for the day. And apparently the wind of the cave goes in and it goes out, and that's why it's called the uh, the breathing caves. And now it's blowing out. That's right, boys. Every few minutes the wind reverses direction. That's why this is called breathing cave. Let's move on. We'd like to thank Bud Collier and, by extension, Clark Kent for that little bit of exposition. So, uh, Jimmy will slide down a stalagmite like it's a fireman's pole, and then is disturbed to realize he can't go up the same way. You know, Jimmy, gravity. Even if it wasn't slippery, he probably couldn't do it anyway. Then the cave takes a breath, and Jimmy is sucked into a hole. Obviously, the wind is visible to us as a little uh, white graphics moving in the direction that they want to show us that the wind is blowing. You know, obviously, the characters on the show can't see it, but it's meant as a visual aid for us. So everybody leaves the cave while Clark and Beanie can't find Jimmy. So Clark is going to, uh, you know, just leave Beanie on the edge of a cliff while he goes and looks. So Jimmy finally lands and finds himself in some yellow goop, which looks like honey. And apparently he got sucked into the earth to another world because there's always another world deep underground. Kind of reminds me of that movie with, uh, was it Brendan Fraser? Loosely based on the Jules Verne novel, uh... Right into the center of the earth, they got sucked into the center of the earth and found a new world, just like Jimmy has here. I'm surprised they didn't find some mole men. Wouldn't that have been interesting? So a giant toad lifts out of the pond and uh, gets a tongue around Jimmy. And then there's a very lazy-looking pink dragon that's after him. But meanwhile, Clark is calling for Jimmy. He sees the hole and realizes that Jimmy must have been sucked down. I'm not necessarily sure where he gets figures that out from, but he does. And then here is our first real shirt rip of the show, or at least of the Superman segments. We've seen one before in the Superboy ones. It's mediocre to say the least, but at least it's not the dress shirt hanging on his shoulder. Superman just opens up his Clark Kent cave diver gear, and there's a costume underneath. So Superman flies down to the hole. Meanwhile, this uh, pink dragon is carrying Jimmy, and now we have a uh, part bird, part dinosaur thing that starts fighting with the dragon. Superman shows up, knocks Jimmy from the two combatants and into a spider web, and wouldn't you know it, inside of a giant spider web is waiting a giant spider. Surprised, aren't you? So Superman spins around and flings the dragon because I guess it deserved it. It's not as if Jimmy was an unknown person in their world. I mean, he had every right to be there. 
Not every day that some idiot gets sucked up into a hole and, and shows up in, the, in these parts. So now the bird gets in on the action and it uh, rather amusingly tries to uh, take a bite out of Superman, but the only thing he does is lose his teeth in the process. And a puff of super breath down his throat sends that thing flying. Yes, Superman actually blew into the creature's open mouth. <sighs> and now Superman saves Jimmy from the spider and then stops near the web to chat. He could have just flown away with Jimmy to safety, but nope. Now he has to fight the spider. He learned all the wrong lessons from the Emar episode. Apparently he was not satisfied with merely rescuing the people there. He learned his lesson and now he made sure that he had to fight the giant spider. And if you don't have to fight the giant spider, don't. Regardless of what John Peters tries to tell you. But if he didn't fight the giant spider, well, we would be denied the effect of Superman spinning it around. Because we clearly have not seen Superman spin anything around yet. And then we get an ending of uh, Jimmy telling Beanie what happened as Clark shows up. Gee whiz, Jimmy, where have you been? You won't believe it, Beanie. I was in another world, and in lots of trouble, and Superman saved me. And now he... Jimmy, I've been looking all over for you. Cheapers, Mr. Kent, like I was just telling Beanie. I fell into a hole, I landed on a giant toad, then a flying dragon captured me. And then there was this giant spider. Ah, oh, come on, Jimmy. You must have been having a dream. A dream? Sounds more like a nightmare to me. Beanie's not buying it. And, you know, it's not a bad segment. It's entertaining. Makes me wonder what we would have seen if George Reeves' Superman visited the Mole Men's world. But, alas, we will never see that. But we're going to move on to the next segment. We're going to go back in time to Superman when he was a boy. And we're going to meet the Super Clown of Smallville by Oscar Bensall. A rich old man who was well known for never having laughed in his life puts forward a large monetary reward towards charity if anyone can make him laugh. Superboy and Crypto take up the challenge, but they don't even put a smile on the old man's face. It's not until Clark Kent has to reveal himself as Superboy to the old man in order to save an airplane from disaster does this old man break into laughter. The idea that Clark Kent wants him to believe that he is Superboy it is the best joke he's ever heard. <laughs> Alright, so apparently the what we're going to learn early on in this episode is the richest man in Smallville is one miserable SOB. Stop wasting my time. You call yourselves clowns? You couldn't make me laugh if you tickled my feet with a feather. But don't feel bad. Better men than you have tried and failed. I'm afraid no one can make me laugh except maybe... Ah, here he comes now. So you've accepted my challenge, Superboy. How could I resist, Mr. Hummel? It's worth millions to the Smallville orphanage. Very well. You've already heard the conditions. Just once before my life is over, I want to know how it feels to laugh. If any man can bring me laughter... I'll bequeath my entire fortune to his favorite charity. Think you can make me laugh, Superboy? We can sure try, sir. Ready, Crypto? And apparently he believes that only Superboy can make him laugh. Perhaps he has a Silver Age, a super comedic ability or something. I don't know. So here's Crypto and Superboy who accepted uh, Sam Hummel's challenge. If he makes him laugh, he will donate his entire fortune to charity. Because apparently he has no heirs. 
Maybe if he had children or something, he'd have had something to smile about. But nope, he decided to be miserable his entire life, because, you know, why not? Every children's cartoon needs, a, needs an old man who's dying and was miserable his entire life. So apparently bending an iron fence doesn't amuse the old crackpot. Crypto wraps Superboy in the uh, fence post, trips him, and it cracks up everyone but Mr. Hummel. He's just bored. This whole bit here seems to remind me of the girl who hired Superman to, uh, you know, to put on a whole uh, dog and pony show. She wasn't very entertained by him either. So these clowns will, that are there who couldn't make uh, Mr. Uh, Hamill laugh, but, uh, you know, these clowns will laugh at anything. And while Mr. Hamill will admit that he looks funny, how would he know what looks funny if he never laughed? I'll bet you didn't think of that, did you? Now Superboy is floating away by the power of Superbubble. Crypto pops it and down goes Superboy crashing to Earth. Mr. Hummel's not laughing and I'm not either. And Superboy leaves a failure. His uh, comic bit was not enough to put a smile on this old cranky old man's face. So we go right to Clark here, who's begging for one more chance for Superboy. Golly, Mr. Hummel, the whole town's rooting for the orphanage. If you'd just give Superboy one more chance, maybe... You're wasting your time, young fellow. I'm convinced there's not a soul alive who... Hey, what's wrong? Suddenly, as a strange distant sound alerts his super hearing, the boy of steel beams his X-ray vision through the ceiling. High into the sky, where a meteorite streaks toward an unsuspecting plane. They'll meet head on in another few seconds. What are you doing, young man? Why doesn't he give the money to charity anyway? Maybe that will make him happy. Maybe he'll have one little smile before he dies. So while all this is happening, uh, Clark sees a meteor that's about to hit, and it's about to endanger a plane. I'm not sure what the odds are of a meteor hitting a flying plane, but they've got to be slim to none. But in a Superman show, that's enough. And Clark just changed into Superboy right in front of Mr. Hummel, and I'm wondering, was that supposed to be funny? More on that later. And with one punch, a left uppercut, normally Superman hits with his right, the meteor is destroyed and the plane is saved. So apparently now that Mr. Hummel knows who Superboy is, he's laughing. Clark can't figure out why, and... Now my secret identity is finally out, Mr. Hummel. There was no time to slip away. You see, that meteor was so near the plane, I just didn't have time to... What? Huh? What? Mr. Hummel? What? Huh? You, you're trying to make me think that you're Superboy? You? Meek, mild-mannered Clark Kent. Look, Mr. Hummel. Uh, that's the greatest joke of the century. Apparently, the thought that Clark Kent might be Superboy makes the most miserable of hearts laugh out loud. Okay, I guess so. You know, if in order for Superboy to quote-unquote win in this episode, the miserable, miserable Mr. Hummel had to laugh, but... Alright, not the best Superboy short out there, but I guess this is one of those stories that could only be a Superboy story. I'm not sure you do this kind of thing with Superman, but in the Silver Age, I don't know. But I do like that none of the things Superboy did to be funny made the old man laugh. That's kind of how I am. I'm not as miserable as Mr. Hummel is, but I'll find things funny that I find funny. The harder you try to make me laugh, the less likely you are to get a, such a response. You're more likely to elicit an eye roll than an actual laugh. But, you know... I'll laugh when something is unexpectedly funny, which jives with certain some of the things I've said about humor in uh, certain films. So, put that one in the bag. 
then we're gonna get our first comic book supervillain with the return of Brainiac. It would have nice to have seen the first Brainiac adventure, but nope, we're just going to the, with the return of Brainiac. And that's written by Oscar Bensall. Brainiac returns to Earth in his flying saucer. When Lois and Jimmy spot him, Brainiac uses the shrinking ray to shrink them. Superman responds to Jimmy's signal watch and also falls prey to the shrinking rays. Superman manages to save Lois from being kidnapped by an ant and fries Brainiac's electronic brain before enlarging himself and the others. This show will use a slightly different origin to Brainiac. He's still a robot like the Brainiac of the comics of that time, but instead of being uh, created by Kaluans to increase their sixth level intelligence, this time he was created by a scientist on the planet Mega, I believe it was. So here's Brainiac, a robot in human form, coming to Earth in a flying saucer years before he received his skull ship. And he's got a miniaturization ray, you know. Just from the comics alone, we know that with what happened with Candor, that Brainiac likes to shrink things, so this is a good start. And uh, Lois and Jimmy uh, see the flying saucer and immediately check it out. Good grief. It, it's Brainiac. He's come back. Brainiac? Keepers, I thought Superman got rid of him for good. Come on, let's get back to the car. <gasps> it, it's him. I hope you're wearing your Superman signal watch. I am. I sure hope it works now. They are in no way phased by unidentified flying objects. So Jimmy recognizes the ship as Brainiac's. He's come back. But, you know, like I mentioned, I would, prefer, I would have preferred to have seen Brainiac's first appearance before he returns. But, oh well, this show is not going for continuity. Every segment is, is a standalone adventure and can go in pretty much like the comics of the time. Now, Jimmy Signal Watch plays an interesting role in these episodes. It's basically a plot device. Since we don't have the full 25 minutes of story time like the George Reeves series did, we need something to kind of get Superman to the scene quickly, and the Signal Watch works well in that regard. And I think that's why we're getting a lot of Jimmy early on. Clark detects the signal. This time, it's white electricity. I would like to see a little bit of consistency in the animations, but we're not getting that. Lois says something to Brainiac, and he silently shrinks them. You know, he's not much for small talk. The gun's effect looks like a whole lot of candy on a white back background, but kind of reminded me of the uh, a million pieces flying overhead in uh, the 1970s uh, Willy Wonka movie with Gene Wilder. But regardless of what it looks like, the uh, miniaturization ray gets the job done. And now here comes Superman. He knocks the ray from Brainiac, but then he gets shrunk for his trouble. And Superman tries to attack Brainiac, but he just kind of bounces off his sh off the shell that Brainiac put around himself. So no dice there. But fortunately, however, uh, the little shield here doesn't go all the way to the ground. And Superman kind of nudge Brainiac's foot and knock him over. But that made the miniaturization ray go off and shrunk them even further. So now they are even shorter than grass. Which reminds me of uh, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, where the kids of uh, Rick Moranis' character and his annoying neighbor were shrunk and spent most of the movie discovering the uh, tiny world that lives in their backyard. Superman, where did all these boulders come from? They're not boulders, Jimmy. They're pebbles. And these small rocks are grains of sand. Gleeps! What kind of tree is this? That's just the stem of the dandelion. And these are blades of grass. Oh, dear. Now we'll have to spend the rest of our lives like... No, we won't. Brainiac won't remain invisible forever. I'm going to find him, get a hold of that ray gun, and restore us to normal size. You wait right here. And just as I formed the thought while watching this, of what I'd give to see Lois ride an ant. Instead, she's abducted by one. I like that the ant, still uh, like in Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, played, uh, played a role in this adventure. So, a tiny Superman can still hear the, the signal watch. He uh, flings the ant away and goes back at the Brainiac, who is stomping like a giant to the minifigures. As Superman flies up toward Brainiac's head, the narrator actually calls him the diminutive dynamo. 
Ouch. I don't know about this narration sometimes. So, what does Superman do? He turns his heat vision on Brainiac's face. His heat vision is a pale red with two beams emerging from his eyes, getting wider as they move further from Superman's face. I'm not sure if they're uh, supposed to be visible in story, but for us they function as a visual aid. And as Superman heat visions Brainiac's head and he just falls over. Superman grabs the ray gun, turns it on, and restores them all to size. Superman crushes it, and Lois and Jimmy want to go back to the office. Come on, Jimmy. Let's rush back to the office and write the story. The end of the Brainiac, thanks to Superman. Yeah. Don't be too sure. Remember that Dr. Heckler can always build another one on Mega. But if he does, he'll have to build another spacecraft, too, because I'm going to destroy this one. Apparently, he has nothing better to do with his time. So Superman plans to uh, destroy Brainiac, but when he returns, both the saucer and the robot are gone. So there it is, setting up for the next time Brainiac shows up. And the little ending scene, we end on a bad pun. Hi, Clark. And where were you today? Oh, uh, I, I was visiting with some ants. That's ants, spelled A-N-T-S. I like that. It, that is a classic Superman villain on the screen. And it's his first time on the screen. It's not the best incarnation of Brainiac, and I do hope they expand on it as the show goes forward. We'll find out. So, next time, I'm going to cover the next four Superman segments. The Magnetic Monster, the Toys of Doom, the Iron Eater, and the Ape Army of the Amazon, and the next two Superboy segments, which will include The Visitor from Earth's Core and The Beast That Went Berserk. In the meantime, you can send email to manofscreen at gmail.com. Let me know what you think of uh, the show and these uh, latest episodes. You can join the conversation over in the Facebook group. Just put Man of Screen Podcast to your search feed, and the show should come up. And you can also leave the... Uh, Leave me a review on iTunes. That'll help other people find the show. So, until next time, folks. Have a good one. Take care. Bye. The Man of Screen Podcast is produced by Mike Zemo, and all opinions expressed on the show are those of Mike Zemo and his guests and no one else. All music and sound clips used on the show are for review purposes only, and no copyright infringement is intended. All music and sound clips are copyright their original copyright owners. The Man of Screen is a member of the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network and can be found at www.twotruefreaks.com. If you shop at Amazon.com, please consider using the link at twotruefreaks.com to shop there. If you do, the Two True Freaks get a little cut of what you buy and it doesn't cost you anything extra so you can shop as usual and help out the two true freaks at the same time emails of this show can be sent to manofscreen at gmail.com and you can also leave the show review on itunes that will help others find the show thank you for listening to the man of screen podcast